not everyone is as they appear to be. Sometimes who they are or what they are is buried beneath the surface. The Bible says and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. On this episode of the Soul Trap Beyond the Veil we experience such visitors as these who appear to be one thing but beneath the surface are something far far different. There's no more room in hell. The dead will walk here. The young preacher stood in the middle of an empty storefront lobby, flush with joy. The dreams and potential of the work of the gospel uncoiled within his mind. Where would it stop? Tomorrow? Two years? Twenty years? What had God planned for him and his ministry? Young men, like the man we are speaking of, tend to dream in such categorical growth. And it's only right that they do. This young preacher was no different. A mere six months prior, he planted a church in a small country community. Today, it was just a small farming town. But what made it strategic was that it rested only a few miles from a large, booming metropolis. There was a bright future ahead. The preacher and the little band of Christians he started with believed God was going to do great things. And so did others unseen around him. The initial happy services had been held in this storefront building that they had been using, and the building was nice for what it was used for, but unfortunately it was more like a box. The little band of believers needed room to grow. The tiny four-walled structure squatted on a three acres of prime real estate, and the preacher would never come to afford it. At $100,000 an acre, the little ramshackle building was simply a tax shelter for the property owner. But each party at the time was benefiting, and so they were where they were. The fledgling church had a place to meet, and the owner surrendered a little less over to Uncle Sam at his yearly April mugging. June is hot everywhere. It's unrelenting in Florida. The pastor mopped his brow with a red bandana while planting perennials in newly dug flower beds. He was dehydrating at an alarming rate. As he stood up, he was approached by a rather well-to-do man in the country community. We'll call him Mr. Gale. Mr. Gale had recently purchased the old Church of God building just up the road. It had been abandoned for years, but his passion was to keep the community local and... He worried that a corporation might buy up the property, knock the old church down, and build who knows what for God knows what purposes directly across the street from his house. He didn't want the texture of his small country community changed, and he saw his financial sacrifice as a kind of social, if not heavenly justice. Beyond the numbers and code enforcement battles, deep down Mr. Gale's heart ached. Now older, retired, he was grasping for the sights and sounds and feelings of his youth. The world was changing, and he rightly reckoned 
he could do nothing about that. But he could do something about 21st Street and the venerable old church that had always stood there like a sentry guarding his childhood. He was looking to rent it to the young preacher in his little congregation for a fraction of what they were currently paying for the storefront, the ramshackle of a building they were proud of at the time. The two men came together that hot June day in agreement, one looking back, the other, the younger, looking forward. Thankful for the acceleration in God's timeline, the young preacher launched himself into the providential opportunity that had presented itself to him. The church building was faded, stucco, so typical of Florida architecture generations ago. It sagged, it creaked, musty smells of old church and old people still clung in the air. The threadbare carpet concealed even a few holes here and there in the wooden floorboards. The pews were tattered, and the windows had an eerie, ill-advised, hazy film painted over them to block out the sunlight. But, like a century from heaven, the old wood pulpit was still there, large, erect, and daunting. The preacher imagined the thousands of old-time gospel messages that had been hurled over the edge of this sacred old desk and into the hearts of hungry parishioners. A little cleaning, a little decor, and a lot of new faces, thought the young preacher. And this place will do just fine for the next stage of the amazing journey that God has prepared for him. But churches, in the vague ethereal world between heaven and earth, are like lights, beacons, which attract all manner of attention, some good, some evil. For those sinners lost at sea, a church represents a steady light on the shore, safely guiding wandering ships through the rocky shoals, but churches can also be a light that attracts flies, shall we say, winged creatures, one could even say. They attract flies that bring with them foul and fetid air. Buzzing, hissing, pestering, dirty, they swarm. It matters not the doctrine nor the life of the church. It's the symbol of the place that draws them. These fluttering creatures from beyond the veil, from the stables of Beelzebub, indeed, the Lord of the Flies. One could stand among the ruins of Druid ritual grounds and see only rocks and a barn and a barren field. Yet it is the vestigial haunting of what happened there that beckons us through time and space. And church buildings likewise have a dimensional, shall we say, stickiness to them. Reaching out from the other side of the veil, they represent a danger to those entities across the divide. More acutely, they represent the one, Jesus of Nazareth, who will be the terminal conclusion of all God's enemies on either side of the veil. 
As they walked the property of the old church that day, Mr. Gale saw a way to hold on to his community and more importantly his past. The young preacher saw an opportunity for growth and legitimacy, the chance to leave behind the unchurchy little storefront box and actually have a legitimate building, albeit old and in need of attention, but complete with a sanctuary, fellowship hall, a small nursery, a parking lot, and a sign. But neither of them that day noticed the trail of flies beginning to hiss and wiggle their way through space and time and dimension on a collision course toward them. It would be a late evening a couple weeks later. It was the Saturday night before the first Sunday service in the new building. On that night, the young preacher would meet, not Mr. Gale, but the real owners of this church building. You see, his light had indeed attracted attention from the other side. Almost everyone had packed up and left about an hour before. The cleaning and painting were all finished in the spirits of the people. Well, they were just ecstatic, united. The preacher and his faithful congregation had spent the previous weeks cleaning, painting, repairing everything that their meager church budget would allow. The place was transformed. His wife, who would be the last to leave, sat with him on the front pew. Their newborn daughter balanced on her knees. In the shadow of the old pulpit, they sat there dreaming. They talked about what it would be like for her growing up in a wonderful family-oriented church like this. And as his wife tucked the baby into the car seat, the preacher asked if he could stay at the church for a little while longer, just to be quiet, just to pray, and put the finishing touches on tomorrow's sermon. They had been so busy making preparations that it seems he had scarcely had time to prepare, much less spend time alone with the Lord. And she smiled ever so gently, her assent, and decided to make a run to the supermarket. She had plenty of time before it closed and promised to come back in an hour to pick him up. He heard her leave, watched the beams of the headlights drift across the front wall of the church, and when the sound of the car faded off into the night, he was left all alone. Two floor lamps standing on either side of the platform lit the otherwise darkened sanctuary. The preacher slid softly to his knees on the floor beside the front pew and began to pray. It wasn't long before he was basking in the absolute stillness that comes to those suspended between two worlds. Time passed. The only sound was the faint muted murmur of the preacher petitioning the Lord. That is until the click of the sanctuary door latch lifting broke his concentration. It was loud. It startled him. It seemed louder, amplified by the fact that he had had no prior warning, no sound of a car, no scuffle of footsteps outside of the sidewalk, nothing to mark the advent of the visitors at the door of the church. Looking up, he saw two small bent forms bustling through the door of the sanctuary, one seeming to tumble in after the other. They were elderly women.
The one in front was short and stout. Stuffed into a shapeless blue flowered dress and a worn knit sweater despite the incredible humidity. Behind her, the other was probably the same advanced age, but was fighting it with fervor. Her clothes were more modern. Her frizzy hair was short and dyed black, encasing her waxen white face like a helmet. She wore bright red lipstick, and her eyebrows were jet black, drawn super thin in a high arch, which made her look very, very awake. They made their way toward him, down the center aisle, and since the opening of the church door, there was nothing but the acoustic sound of their constant chatter. Well, I knew it must be him. Who else would be here at this hour of the night? Well, Mr. Gale is here. His truck is parked over by the Fellowship Hall, but his truck ain't here. And with all the lights on and the truck nowhere inside, I figured it must be the new preacher trying to make a go of this old church. Muttered the first old lady to the second as they progressed down the aisle. Well, now, this place has been shut up for so long, I thought it was closed for good, said the other. Her voice pinched and nasally. They approached. The fat one with chubby fingers thrust forward in an introductory handshake, the other trailing behind, her arms folded across her chest. The preacher graciously took the larger one's hand in his own and put on his most pastoral smile. Up close, he could tell they were poor or seemed to be. They were obviously on foot. He heard no car drive up, so they must be neighbors. They smelled musty and stale, old, like the smell they'd been trying to eliminate in the church for the past week. Perhaps they might be future church members, he thought, trying to put his best foot forward. True, they didn't exactly fit his desired demographic, but you don't get to handpick your church members, he reminded himself. When you plant a church in the early days, it's all about bodies in a pew. But the young preacher glossed over his interest in the two by nobly telling himself, it is my job, my calling and privilege, to love and minister to every soul that God sends through this door. As he took the hand of the second woman in his own, however, he immediately felt apprehension, anxiety, or was it fear? She was stiff. Her hand felt like cold death, and there was something surly in her expression. She frowned like she was dissatisfied with everyone and everything. Immediately, the fat one made herself acquainted. My name is, and this is... The names seemed to blurt out of their tongue. And you must be the new minister. She stated, rather than asked. The skinny one was looking him over like... Well, like she was selecting meat from the butcher shop. Her eyes glinted with a familiarity towards him that made him feel even more uneasy. You see, there was something about her eyes. It was the knowing of her gaze that made him uncomfortable. Deeply set between bags and wrinkles, 
They did not peer. They did not gaze. Rather, their eyes knew him. They bore into him, into his motives, his dreams, his fears, and his failures. They were old eyes, and not just because they belonged to an old lady. No, this was different. He felt judged by them, sized up by them. It was as if she had seen a thousand religious hopes nestled in the heart of a thousand young preachers before him, like she knew what he was even more than he wanted to know himself. It made him squirm. Attempting his most formal and authoritative posture, as young preachers will, he introduced himself and immediately launched into his carefully crafted pitch regarding the mission of his church. They stood there nodding politely and did not attempt to interrupt. So he continued on with his narrative, talking about how they started in the cramped little storefront up the road and told them all about the unexpected call from Mr. Gale and his offer to use the church. As he told them of his good fortune, saying the words out loud, he felt a surge of personal validation. The Lord had performed this amazing miracle just for him and his little congregation. It wasn't the parting of the Red Sea exactly, but to the young preacher, it was no less impressive. Excitement and zeal spilled out of him as he rambled on. Hopes and dreams began gushing out of each sentence like a springing brook. And as he spoke, smiles creased the faces of his two elderly guests. Smiles not of shared joy, but of amusement. There was a sense in which they seemed to almost pity the boy, the young novice guardian of God in his house, so presumptuous and filled with gilded dreams their smile conveyed. They stood patiently and indulged him. Let him have his moment. Meat must marinate after all, the smiles suggested. When he finally finished talking, they ever so politely changed the subject. The conversation turned down the common road of connections and interconnections within the community and this was the old lady's territory. They knew everyone and anyone, and the preacher being a newcomer could only take up his turn of nodding and listening as they dropped family name one by one and then concurred over that family's contribution or disgrace to the town's reputation. When the two of them paused, trying to recall the name of the young fellow who ran the local fire station, the preacher interrupted, suggesting it was late and that he would soon be leaving. Now here, as the story was relayed, I must stop and describe for you the atmosphere, because atmosphere sometimes is everything. For example, a cemetery on a cold, sunny fall day, quite frankly, can be a beautiful place, whereas a church in the dead of night can send slivers of fear stabbing into the soul. When recounting this story, the preacher would state earnestly that some years later, as he recalls, there was a thickness to the air 
inside the church. Not that the air was heavy or warm. No, the air was thick in the sense that it was populated, busy. Something, something other filled the very air he breathed. The atmosphere was crowded, and this crowding seemed to have a tangible effect upon the lights shining, but not as bright. The sensations all around him were different. The feel of the summer evening winding down had given way to the pressure of a nightfall filled with tempest and temptation. Ladies, I, 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 I must be leaving, he said. Thank you for stopping by. Leaving? Without Kathleen and Hannah? The fat one expelled the names of his wife and daughter in an acrid tone. Harmonizing, the other chimed in. They've not yet returned from the store, have they? I thought she was coming back for you. Bewildered, the preacher stood there trying to sort out how they could have known his wife and daughter. How did they know his wife and daughter's name? And then specifically, where were they? Had the two visitors encountered his wife in the parking lot? No, not possible. He had seen the car leave. There, there was no one there. The pride and zeal of moments ago vanished, entirely dissipated, as if all the air in his balloon deflated in an instant. Instead, now, there was confusion and dimness. These were the immediate feelings of the younger boy who considered himself only a few minutes earlier to be a man in the ways of God. Suddenly, and yet slowly, and only those who have encountered such a moment understand the paradox, he could hear the two women speaking, but their words were almost incoherent. He felt faint. He felt sick. He felt a large pit swell within his stomach. It was as if everything was slowing down all around him. A darkness, a dimness permeated the corners of his vision, and he literally reached out to grab the pew beside him to steady himself. Imploringly, desperately, he looked up into the faces of the two old women, their features distorted now, swimming in the atmosphere, unable to focus before him. He heard one say, What's wrong, Her language and tone slurring. Decelerated words crept in his ears like a record on a turntable, spinning slower and slower. The smaller one began laughing a low, discordant warbling. Her contorted face loomed toward him. Their movements appeared spasmodic, and yet the scene was syrupy in time and space. He clenched his eyes, reaching for some sense of sanity and clarity within him. The words eked out of his lips. Thank, thank you, ladies. Thank you for coming. He heard his own voice sound so far away and strangely timid. Thank you for coming, but, but I really must be going. Summoning every shred of strength remaining inside him, struggling against the pressure of a thousand wishes, he opened his eyes. And the room was completely back to normal. The two women stood before him. Their faces were all concerned and skeptical, as if they themselves weren't sure what was 
entirely wrong. Shocked but also relieved, he recovered himself, smiled at them reassuringly, and hurriedly motioned them toward the exit. He wanted them simply gone. Not sure if this momentary reprieve was going to be lasting, he felt a pressing need to be rid of them right now. Ushering the shuffling pair to the back door, however, seemed to take an eternity. And then it happened. There, at the doorway, the gateway, from the church within to the world without, the smaller woman turned, pointed her crooked finger at him, and with a universe of rage, belched out these words. We know who you are. The blast of her words, like an assault, pushed him backward. Already weakened, he stumbled and fell to the floor. We know who you are. We know who you are and you are not welcome here. This is our church. It has always been our church. And you will never take it from us. We are always watching. We see you and what you're trying to do. This is ours. Our place. Our church. You are not welcome here. Hear me, boy, preacher. There are many of us. More than you. The two women towered over him, framed in the doorway, colossal, and then the church door slammed shut. Moaning to his feet, the preacher lunged forward, grasping the door handle, but suddenly he stopped stock still. Through the small square window in the door, he could see outside. The steps of the church led down to the sidewalk, and there approaching him was his wife and daughter. The women were gone, nowhere in sight. Pulling the door open, his mind disheveled, his strength dissolved, frantic that his wife had encountered the two, but there before him was only the half-smiling, half-tired face of a young mother trying to manage their grocery store and an infant. There were no old women just the young preacher, his family, and a young man's lesson learned about spiritual warfare the hard way. As years unfolded, he had tried to convey the story to a few others. The story and the sensations of the moment, the fear that was otherworldly, the timing that was too specific, and how his wife could not have failed to see them they even existed in the plane of the material. Some listeners, as he would explain, nodded in sympathy with a vague sense of interest. Others smiled that this young novice preacher had just mistaken mean old Baptists for the devil. It happens. But on warm Florida evenings, ever since that night, when the lights are low and he is leaving his office late, though the building has changed and the location has altered, he still feels the pawing, fleshly, knowing eyes of the pair locked on him. He can still see and hear the muddy voices of the ancients reminding him that the church is a light 
and lights attract a lot of things. Even the unexplainable things, the otherworldly things, the winged things. A church can draw much attention both from our world and from the world that exists beyond.